to Manawatu that we head now. We welcome Jimmy Allingham, RNZ reporter based in Palmerston North. Hi, Jimmy. We've been speaking a lot, obviously, over Massey University's financial troubles and uh, proposed cuts to staff and courses. Not the only university going through this, of course. But what's the latest? There's been more pushback, including on the, the actual numbers, I understand. Yeah, that's right. It seems to be something that we speak about just about uh, every time I'm talking to you, Catherine, but it is a big deal. And as you say, it's wider than just Massey University. But for Massey University, I've said before, it's such a big part of life in Palmerston North. It also has campuses in Albany and Auckland and Wellington. The latest, there's proposals to cut staff numbers, but also the financial troubles have been laid out in quite stark numbers. Now, last year, the university recorded a loss of $8.8 million, but this year it's forecasting a deficit of $53.7 million, which is much, much higher than what it expected. And as a result, there there are these proposals to slash jobs, including in sciences. And among those are to get rid of whole courses at Albany up in Auckland. And the Tertiary Education Union says up to 100 jobs could go in that proposal. A final decision is expected later next month. There's also another proposal alongside that to get rid of jobs and courses, and about 40 jobs potentially could go in the humanities. And we should know about that by December. There's been quite a backlash to this. There's a group, Students Against Cuts, and that's been leading protests in Auckland and Palmerston North. Staff and students have been very out spoken about this. And all this really, Catherine, after a year if not longer of ongoing cuts, there's been voluntary redundancies throughout this year. So it's been an unsettling time for Massey. Okay, looking at that loss, we were talking about the 53.7 million loss and is this where uh, those pushing back against the cuts are saying, well show us, you know, give us the details? That's exactly right. There's been calls for transparency. And Massey itself, we've asked Massey what's behind this loss, and all it will do is point us to the latest uh, published accounts, which only go to the end of July, at which point there was a deficit for the seven months there of $33 million, and that was $28 million worse than expected. And, and the accounting notes for that say it was lower than expected fees, higher than expected staff costs, lower government grants, as well as higher other costs. But what's on the line among these proposals to slash science courses at Albany? It would also hollow out at its brand new building that's just opened there. I think courses moved in, staff moved in late last year. It's called the Innovation Complex. The building cost at least $120 million. That's a number that I can find published. But once again, Massey won't say how much the building actually costs. And it's full of specialist labs and equipment. So it was actually going to be called the Innovation and Science Complex, but that science name quietly got dropped, but it's still visible on some of the signs around the building. Massey insists it's a general purpose building, but the fit out definitely is not. And last week I was shown around by Professor Diane Brunton. She's an expert in conservation biology whose voice has often been heard on uh, RNZ. And here are some of the features of that building that she showed me. All of these labs and the whole building really is built for the future. It's built for the next 20 to 40 years and the students and the staff and and the growth that we will see in sciences. You know, here on the North Shore where, you know, the population is just booming and it's not going to stop. It's just going to keep going. Uh, We've got here, we've got the new uh, marine wet lab. It's state-of-the-art wet lab. The the, um, consultant who built this is extremely proud of it. Probably the one of the best in the country. So what would happen to all of this if there were no sciences in here? Um, I don't know. 
That is the question. And uh, is there any answer forthcoming from, from Massey's uh, management? The short answer there is no. They, they, will, they won't say. It's falling back on the, these are just proposals at this stage and no final decisions have been made. But the likes of Professor Brunton, whose, whose job is on the line, and other staff, they've also raised concerns about the quality of information and the financial assumptions that they've received in the consultation documents on the proposal. They've made submissions. They're really fighting for their jobs, for their careers, and for their students. And many of these people are, are renowned in their fields. But the students, too, it's having an effect on them. There's proposals to get rid of the food technology courses in Albany. So students in that who say are partway through a degree are wondering if they'll have to move to Palmerston North, will they have to change courses, will they even have to change universities. There's other courses such as engineering that are going from the university completely under these proposals. So there's questions there, will students get to complete their qualifications? And there's concerns too about research, postgraduate studies, supervisors, all that sort of thing. And that's come at really a busy time of the year for students. It's the end of the academic year when they'd quite like to have some certainty for next year. And at, that, at this point, until those proposals are decided, that they don't have that certainty. But here's what some of the students have told me. It sounds like they're going to continue these classes at Palmerston North. But the students can't just pack up, uh, leave their family and head out to uh, Palmerston North for their studies. Students are stressed out. Students are also in exam crunch right now. So we're already at kind of like our highest tension point in the whole year. And now throwing in the question of, well, where are you going to study? Where are you going to live? So many questions. And of course, you know, people are looking at Massey and thinking about uh, where they're going to to study in the future. Do you think there's some wider um, damage happening here? There has to be, and that's what people are, are telling us. But once again, that's a question Massey won't answer. We've asked a few times if it's expecting any damage to its reputation, what effect this could have on, on next year and beyond. But we haven't got an answer there either. You've been casting an eye over some abandoned trains in Taumaranui, Jimmy. Yes, to change tack a little bit. So Taumaranui is the it's the far northern reaches of the Manawatu Whanganui council boundaries, really. So it's part of that Horizons Regional Council District. And I went there, which we discussed a couple of months ago, to talk about that vast Rangitike electorate uh, and just to talk about election issues uh, with people. But while I was in Taumaranui, I couldn't help but notice on the main street there's all these old Auckland commuter trains parked and on one side of that street there's your shops and on the other side is the railway so there's there's real no huge fencing or anything to to, to block the view it's just all these graffitied uh, decaying trains parked right there and locals hate it when i was asking them about important election issues they were actually talking about the trains so i, I sort of thought maybe it's not an election issue but i returned there with uh, checkpoint cameraman nick munro a few weeks ago just to, to do a story about this and we found out that these carriages have been there since at least 2016 at first they were looked after they kind of looked okay there was some security around too to keep the vandals away but but down the years, somehow that dropped off and changed and locals really just want them gone. And most of the locals I spoke to, they had one word to describe how they felt or what they thought of the trains. They should be sent back to Auckland, not in our backyard, thank you very much. It's just an eyesore. It is a bit of an eyesore. A bit of an eyesore. A bit of an eyesore. I think, you know, Tomaranui is kind of one of those towns where a lot of Aucklanders can't even say it. You know, they can't even pronounce Tomaranui, so yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean much to have some of their old trains just dumped down, dumped down one of those, one of those hick country towns, they won't care. 
I thought we were going to get the, first, the, the full burst of Tamaranui on the main trunk line for a moment, <laughs> yes. Jimmy. A little, a little bit crept in there. That was that famous Peter Cape song, and, and that really sums up what people know of Tamaranui, doesn't it? They know it as a railway town. It's got that history. It was built really on the railways and the industry surrounding. Some of these carriages that, that we saw, they have gone down the years, so there's fewer now than what there were years ago, but Kiwi Rail won't say if there's any plans for the remaining ones, how much they're worth, that sort of thing. Some are also owned by other organisations. There are about a dozen owned by the Glenbrook Vintage Railway in Auckland as well. But uh, as we say, locals really want them gone. It's hard to really overstate how awful they look, particularly when you've got a small town, one main street like that. It's not like, say, if they were parked in Palmerston North somewhere where the railway is not on the main road or, or somewhere else. It really does stand out. And Durupehu Mayor Western Curtin's been talking about how, well, he, the council actually thinks that maybe some of these will have to be scrapped, which is a shame because they could have been used for housing or, or something along those lines. Kiwi Rail, again, um, wouldn't tell us why they were sent to Tomananui in the first place. Yes, but eyesore seemed to be the general consensus. Now, Jimmy, your region's had some very wet years. Now drought is looming. Yeah, from one extreme to the other, I had a look at farming in the Tararua district, which is sort of between Hawke's Bay and Waitarapa on the east coast of the North Island. It's had very wet years for the past few summers. Cyclone Gabriel tore through there, didn't perhaps have the effect that we saw in Hawke's Bay or further north, but certainly a lot of damage was done to property and to farms. But so we've gone from the extreme of having too much rain to farmers now preparing for drought, thanks to El Nino this year. In some places, you're driving around the Tanadua district, it's impossible to go anywhere without seeing slips. There's slips. There are slips on the road, there are slips on the land everywhere because of all that rain. I spoke to farmers Charlie and Hamish Menzies, who I'd spoken to shortly after Cyclone Gabriel's struck. They have a, a sheep, beef and deer farm near the source of the Manawatu River where it's not very wide, but uh, that bridge over the Manawatu River, an access bridge to their farm, was washed out during Cyclone Gabriel. It was, you might recall, um, there was some amazing footage caught by one of their children, I think, that actually showed the bridge being washed out. So they were there to capture that. It's, it's a council-maintained road and has just two properties there. And for about three months, they had to use a boat to get across this this little <laughs> the, the Manawatu River to get to their property. A footbridge and a, and a ford for, for heavy vehicles, really, or four-wheel drive vehicles, has since been built. That's their access, but that you can't pass that when the river's in high flow. And a couple of times of winter, they had to use the boat again. They're not sure what the long-term replacement will be, which is a bit of an, bit of an issue for Mrs Menzies, who goes to work every day at the local high school. So she faces a future where perhaps she can't do that. And I bring them up as an example of just showing the effects that this bad weather's had on farms for the past few years. And now they've had to they've had to pivot completely to preparing for drought. I spoke to Federated Farmers president of a co-president of Tararua, Sally Dryland, and she says farmers are tired and nervous, but because of that wet winter have been unable to do maintenance or repairs. Meanwhile, the Manawatu Rangatike Rural Rural Family Support Trust Chairman. Mary Holdaway says droughts are the sort of things that come on slowly and they can be there before you know. And often when grass grows in wet, wet periods, it can't be accessed. So that's a few of the issues that Tararua farmers are facing, just going from that one extreme to the other as expected. We've only got a minute left. We can't probably tell Trevor Moore's story properly and do justice to it, but uh, just give us an idea of uh, the amazing man you went for a walk with last week. 
Yes, I did go. I went for a walk with a man called Trevor Moore from his home in Dannyburg. He's going to walk to Wellington from Dannyburg, more than 200 kilometres in December to raise money for the Grassroots Rescue Helicopter, the Grassroots Trust Rescue Helicopter. And that's because on May the 31st, he had an accident when pruning trees and, and a log kicked back in his face. He, he broke every bone in his face. It was horrific. He was in a coma for a week or so and then had to go to a brain injury unit where he basically had to learn to walk again. So to repay... For them for for saving his life, really, he wants to walk to Wellington and raise fifteen thousand dollars, which is the cost he estimated what it cost the helicopter to transport him to Wellington Hospital from the back blocks of Pahiatua in the Tatadua district. His recovery has been quite amazing. It's only five wow. months since he was in a coma, what and an um, incredible here he is man. powering. Yeah, and yes. incredible to give back this way. Thank you, Jimmy.